0: I am grateful for Justin being willing to step up and lead worship tonight and Jasmine to to help out with that. Um, Thank you so much, Justin. (laughs) Hey, it's good to be uh, with you tonight um, speaking instead of leading worship, which is what I normally get to do. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd love to have you grab one. We have a table in the back there that you're welcome anytime to go back there and grab a Bible. If you don't, um, feel free to do that even right now um, as I talk. Most of you know that we've been in a series on the Ten Commandments uh, in here and actually in the whole church, looking through uh, those Ten Commandments out of Deuteronomy. Um, we've been studying this since uh, mid-February. And uh, as I've thought and reflected on... Um, on actually just sitting where you get to sit, listening to uh, Pastor Greg, listening to Pastor Albert uh, speak on these things. Uh, I've, I've been, uh, I felt like there's a lot of good things that have, had, have uh, been spoken to me, uh, good ways that, that I've walked away, been challenged in ways, some ways that I wasn't really expecting. Um, I, I must confess, when, when I heard that we were doing a series on the Ten Commandments, uh, I felt a little bit of uncertainty. I don't know if, any of you guys felt that way, too? Um, I, I kind of lean towards books like Ecclesiastes or the Psalms or, or the Gospels I get excited about, um, Paul's books, things like that. And when I heard we're doing the Ten Commandments, I was a little bit less than excited. Um, I don't think I've ever sat and listened to a whole series on the commandments. We tend to kind of point at them uh, when, they, when they're applicable. Um, and then the other reason why I was uncertain is that I, I planned services here. So I, I lead worship, and what I do typically throughout the week is try to figure out ways to, to form what we're doing as a worshiping community to, to the theme or to the passage of what is happening and what is being preached. And I know there are a lot of songs that take the Lord's name in vain, and there's a lot of songs about adultery and things like that, but, but we can't sing those in church. So when you when you think about approaching these texts that say just that, do not commit adultery. You know how do we how do we sing about that? Um, and we we found ways. Um, it's not always about um, singing what we're speaking about, but um, approaching God in worship. I've mentioned to to you guys before and, and said a, a few different times that that I'm a product of Christian schooling, um, and so uh, I got my my fair share if not way more of, of the thou shalt not growing up um, th- uh, learning, learning what is the wrong thing to do and being told that um, so, so um, there's, there's, there's nothing like growing up in a conservative setting um, to teach you what you can't do um, so, so I got my fill of no stop it you can't don't do that you're not supposed to I said no Christians don't do that listen to me um, how, i 'm I'm, I'm wondering you, you guys probably all got counted at. Did you get counted at? i think I think there must be there must have been a, a, a conversation that went something like jeremy here 's what 's going to happen i 'm going to count to three and when I get to three, if you haven't stopped what you're doing, you're in big trouble. But somewhere along the line, I don't I don't really remember having that conversation. So you almost wonder if you came out of the womb just knowing that one, two, three meant stop what you're doing. Um uh, so, so you're over you know, the kid over here doing this and you guys I I had it figured out. I, I assume you probably did too, that when you hear one Even if it's that tone of voice, you're thinking as you're playing with your toys, um, maybe she's just saying one just to say one. And so I'm going to keep playing. And you never knew how long two was going to be. It could be one, and then there could be a long pause, and then two. And so you had some time. But when you heard two, you didn't know when... It could be two, three, and then you're in trouble. So when you heard two, you had to come running um, over... Oh man, rules on top of rules, rules for the sake of rules. That's how I felt when I was a kid um, growing up. That's how I felt in school. Um rules that didn't make sense to me. Um for instance when I was in elementary school um and I was sitting at we were sitting at our desk, I'm gonna get a chair. Um there was when the teacher called us to order, we were supposed to sit. I'm gonna show you. We had to sit like this. Why? I didn't get it. But if you didn't sit like that, and, and I, always wasn't, I wasn't always paying attention to everything that was going on. So if you didn't sit like that, the girls were really good at that. Um, me, I was goofing off all the time. Um, and uh, I got in trouble. I got in trouble a lot because I was kind of given the label of daydreamer. Um, so when we were sitting in class... Uh, I was often looking elsewhere, um, and my teachers thought I wasn't listening. So I got in trouble for not listening the right way. So I should have been looking at my teacher, and that would show um, she or he that I was actually listening, but instead I was looking off in other places. I got sent to some special classes because they thought I had listening problems, and then they found out that really I was just being sneaky. I was looking over here, and listening, so I knew all the answers, um, and and sometimes our the the rules. I, I remember that the rules were being sneaky, like rules that were really getting at something else. Um, and I think you figure that out even at a young age. It's it's kind of like I think when you figure out that who can pick up the, your toys the fastest or who can be quiet the longest, that those really aren't games, <laughs> that they're really they're really for some other reason. Um, so I, I reacted at, you know, too many rules, um, exorbitant amount of rules. Um, and then I remember wanting these rules to be explained to me and getting to a point where I thought I could understand adult explanations for some of these rules, um, and still feeling like I was getting the, the child explanation for rules, um, or, um, you know, because I said so. Um, And in Christian school, it's because God says so, and because the Bible says so. So you see, I've got baggage. I've got baggage. So when when we approach this, when we approach uh, the Ten Commandments, then it can seem like God's because I said so list. Um, And what I think we've come to find as we've been walking through uh, these commandments is that they're not just because he said so. They're not these thou shalt nots. Um, are really uh, a way to to freedom. They're not designed to limit us um, so that if God says, don't stand in this square, um, really what what He's giving us our focus is not on just don't stand on this square, but that there's all this other place that we can go. Um, And I hope that's that's where we've been pointing you um, throughout this series. Um, God is not trying to be sneaky with us. Um, he truly desires for, for life to go well for us. Um, and, and that's what he says. Let's, let's look at this passage. Because um, I, I think what we are being called to is to trust these words that he says. Um, trusting that, uh, that he wants what's best for us. Trusting that that's, that's true. Um, so if you would turn to read Deuteronomy chapter 5. Again, oh, the Bibles are all gone. I can see the table. So if you don't have a Bible, look on with somebody. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 5, fifth book in the Old Testament. It's right between Numbers and Joshua. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Chapter 5, and look with me starting in verse 4. Verse 4 says, The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. Let's get down. And He said, verse 6, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then we see the commandments. Move down to verse 21. We see the 10th commandment that we're talking about tonight. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And then jump with me down to verse 29. Verse 29 says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. And verse 32. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you, Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. Let me pray for us again. God, as we open your word, as we look um, directly at, at these things that you want for us. Um, Lord, we ask that you would would teach us, that you would reveal um, the ways that we have turned right and left, Um, that you give us right understanding, Lord, and that you would build in us, not just now, not just in these moments, but that you would continue to build in us uh, trust. Trust that your ways are right. Um, Trust that we can follow them. But I see you use my words, that they would be your words. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jack, can you put that verse? I want us to take some time just looking at this one command here that we're talking about tonight. Um, and we see what we see here is you shall not covet, which is the main commandment, and then it gives you these things that you are not to covet. Um, and yet, if you see on, on your, your uh, handout thing there, you'll see that, that the title of the message for today is Be Content. Um, and so, what, we, we call it Be Content because we believe that this commandment has to do with contentment. Um, that uh, it's contentment with having God before anything else in our lives. Um, which is, in fact, pointing us all the way back to the first commandment but also contentment with everything that God provides in our lives. Um, that this idea of coveting, uh, contentment is, is kind of its opposite. Um, and uh, like I said, pointing back to the first commandment too, which says, you shall have no other gods before me, um, which is the foundation for all the other commandments, um, that first one. It's the, the proper understanding of um, and the proper response to all the other commands first things first, God first. Um, and as we get to this, uh, this commandment, it's, it's, uh, pointing us to, um, this idea of discontentment,
1: um,
0: of dissatisfaction, selfishness, um, even, even pride, um, these uh, away from what God wants for us. Um, and, uh, in in a sense, this is pointing us to how we break the other nine commandments. Um, that our our dissatisfaction um, it points to points to the motives that are in us. Um, that as we have this desire, uh, that they work against and they can lead us into all nine of the other commandments, breaking them. Um, I think an important part of this is how it relates to to what goes on inside. And here, this commandment is really directly pointing us to something that is inside. Um, Let me illustrate this. Um, Have you ever been called a smart aleck before? Smart aleck. I don't even know what that means, smart aleck. Um, But I've been called one often. Again, here's my baggage coming out teachers, um, my my parents. I've deserved it most of the time. I remember this one time that I I was in high school and my buddies in high school, we were all smart dogs. Um, We were hanging out in front of the teacher's lounge one day and I have no idea why we were hanging out in front of the teacher's lounge. Um, We didn't have a very big school, so we were in front of the teacher's lounge and my buddy, one of my friends, said something that was really funny. It was funny. um, I'm not sure it was the most appropriate thing to say and I don't remember what it was at all, I promise. But um, it wasn't something, especially it wasn't something you you wanted to say in front of a teacher or an administrator. And just as he was facing us with his back to the teacher's lounge, so just as he's saying this thing and we're about to start laughing, we're all bracing ourselves because the door opens and our dean, the dean of the school, who is also our counselor, um, opens the door and comes walking out just to hear this statement. Um, And so, I remember him grabbing my friend and pulling him aside. And I remember him saying this very adult statement that all high school smart alecks um, love to make fun of in the future. Um, He said, character is who you are when no one is watching. One of these, you know, very, very fine Things that that later, you know, weeks later, actually years later, we, I'll still see my friends, and we'll be talking about who knows what, anything, and we'll stop each other, and we'll say, "Hey, character <laughs> is who you are when no one is watching." Um, so, so we make fun of it, but the reality is that there's, there is a little bit of truth to that statement, um, and that's what I think that's what this command is pointing us to. Um, things that things that happen; these are things. That can happen when nobody's watching us. Um, no one, uh, no one can see coveting takes place um, when it takes place. Um, it's a sin that's hidden from everybody's eyes except for God's eyes. Um, no one's going to take you to court for for coveting, you know, your neighbor's talents or, or car or or spouse. Um, and yet, coveting is a serious is serious because um, often it triggers. The things that, that um, the things that we've talked about in these other commandments that um, this this desire um, and and I want to talk about this desire because this word covet is not necessarily it's not at all a bad word um, coveting is it, it means like longing it means a deep desire and we can have a, a desire for good things we can have a desire for for the right things um, but it's it's when we have this longing and desire for things that we should not long and desire um, for things that don't belong to us. That's where it crosses the line. Um, there's two parts. As we look more at this verse, there's two parts to it. I think one is relational and one is stuff. So let's talk about the relational one first. Um, it's, it's uh, talks about specifically coveting your neighbor's wife or, or covering um, a, a wife or husband, and I think automatically the first thing that we can think of is to go back to Commandment Seven, that talks about, it uh, talks about, lust, um, and yet I I don't think that it's only that covenant can only happen in that area of lust of Thou shall not commit adultery, and yet that's an important part of it, um, one not to lose lose sight of. That's definitely. Wrong, but you can covet in a way that's also emotional. So not just in a physical way, but in a way that's emotional. Um, I think that this can happen, and I think we could see this happening. Um, I, I could see, you know, you could see somebody having a conversation with somebody else's um, spouse, and, and having, having this conversation that they're enjoying while they just walked away from a conversation with their own spouse that is, you know, wasn't so great. Um, or maybe the uh, patterns in in this marriage that aren't so great, and you're having a conversation and you think, man, I wish my husband was that sympathetic, or I wish I could talk as easily to that person. And you don't have to be married. I think single people, um, I think this happens in dating relationships. You might have uh, a friend, your best friend, who has a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and you might find that uh, you have the, the easiest conversations talking with the opposite sex happen with that person. Who is your friend's girlfriend, boyfriend? Um, I remember stuff like that happening when I was in high school. Um, And I think it's okay for us to want good things in a spouse, want good things in a boyfriend or girlfriend, but where we cross the line in coveting is wanting that person. Or when we have our our thoughts and our lives absorbed with thinking about that very person, Um, when that's all we can think about. Um, when it starts making us resent our friends, resent that, that husband who's married to that perfect woman in our mind. Um, we get into dangerous things, right? We get into dangerous things. Um, pretty soon we're falling for that person. Um, and uh, we've, we've seen relationships, we've seen people walk down those paths. I've seen people walk down those paths. The second area in, the, in this, and I think it really covers a lot of the stuff, is just stuff. The things that other people have. Um, stuff, a deep, deep desire and longing for the belongings, for the achievements of somebody else. Um, these, are, these are the status symbols of, of this time. We, we might look at, at some of this stuff and, and think, well, I got this covered because I've never coveted an ox. Um... <laughs> Or a donkey, um, <laughs> but th- there's a, there's a few different things I think in here that are worth that are worth pointing out. Um, the one is is uh, neighbor's house or land, and I think I think we get this in in our society, especially this this feeling that we haven't made it until we have the the white picket uh, the house with the white picket. I was going to say white picket house. White, the house with the white picket fence, the two car garage, two point five kids, and a dog um, and again, I, I have to keep stressing it 's okay to want the right things it 's okay to want good things in our lives, um, but when we come so become so absorbed um, and and wanting a, a house and wanting property is not a bad thing i 'll tell you uh, Vanessa and I ha- have been uh, this is something that that um, cuts kind of deep with us right now in our longing. We just got married. We, we are living in this area. We want to stay in this area, and we look at these properties around us and the housing, housing market's going down, but it's not going down low enough. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, how badly we want a place, even if it's a little place. It could be a tiny place. And, and we'll take it, and we'll be grateful. But I know what the danger is going to be. Say, if we get this house, this two-bedroom place, and we're, we're looking around, and we see our, our friends in bigger places, and this friend over here is remodeling, and so I want to remodel, and, and, um, and we just keep wanting more and more and more. And, and this is something that's such a big part of our society, more and more and more. Um, do, do we get caught up in just more because we want more, because that's the way it's supposed to be? Or, or are we seeking things in a godly way? And I think there's a godly, godly way to look at this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point us in that direction in a few minutes. Um, but there's some important questions. Um, beyond just are we, are we playing along with this game, is it affecting our attitudes toward people? Um, is it... Is it affecting the way we think about the, the, the person next to us who has, you know, has more than us? Um, is it making is it affecting our, our actions, which I think is is really um, what this is getting at. Um, we do we know this really well. The, the, what I'm saying, what I'm calling the game in in our country, in Western society, in the United States, um, because we are a nation of consumers. We're a nation of consumers. Do you know the top two things that Americans do with their leisure time? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> top two things: we watch TV and we shop. We watch TV and we shop. So, so that means we sit in front of our televisions. The commercials tell us uh, about everything that's wrong in our lives. Um, we we don't wear the right clothes. We don't drive the right car. Um, We have wrinkles on our face, and that's bad. Um, It it goes on and on and on and on, right? So we go out and we shop. Um, And then we, we buy things, and then we go to work so that we can pay for the things that we just bought. And then when we're done with work, we go home and we watch more TV. And then the TV, again, tells us how much we suck. And so we go back out, and we buy more and, and we continue in this, this cycle. And, and to the extent that, that people work longer hours uh, to keep up, um, they even pick up additional jobs to help pay for stuff, um, and, and even going into debt to, to just keep up with this cycle. Um, and the, those people out there, the... the uh, The the businesses, they mess with us, too. Do you know this? They mess with us. If you haven't heard anything tonight, hear that they mess with us. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, There there are these two terms that I want to tell you about. One is called planned obsolescence, and the other one is called perceived obsolescence. These, These terms, planned obsolescence is when companies will actually sit down in meetings and talk about how they can make something that will need to be thrown away or that won't last and how long it will take for the consumer. Or what is the... Let me see if I can get this right. What is the shortest amount of time they can make something work and yet still have the consumer have faith in them as a company, faith enough to go and buy the thing? Um, Perceived obsolescence means that... uh, that they, that they make things the way that they change things um, so that what you have now looks out of style and you're not cool anymore with this thing and so you have to get a new one of these. This is my whole problem with Apple. <laughs> I struggle with Apple because I want a new computer so badly. But I have an old PowerBook. And you guys know I'm lame. I'm not cool for having a PowerBook. I need to have a MacBook. Um, they, do these, they do these things very purposefully. Um, if you've got some time on the Internet, which I think most of you uh, spend so much time on the Internet, too, that could be up there with leisure time. Um, check out this website. It's called thestoryofstuff.com. The Story of Stuff. Just keep that in the back of your head. Kind of interesting. Kind of uh, talking about how we can be more green, but I, I, I think there's some really valuable things, some of the stuff that I'm, I'm some of these stats that I'm throwing out that they said. Um, our economy was built this way, um, structured purposefully to, to draw us into this cycle. Um, right after World War II, the government and, and the businesses um, were trying to figure out how to build the economy, which doesn't seem like a bad thing, right? Economy, good. I have this quote that I, I'm going to have Jet put up from uh, a retailing analyst by the name Victor Lebeau back then he said this our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals that we seek our spiritual satisfaction our ego satisfaction in consumption we need things consumed burned up replaced and discarded at an ever accelerating rate wow our economy demands that we make consumption our way of life. Consumption. Um, we, we've seen this a bit closer to home. Remember, um, remember when President Bush, after, after 9-11, do you remember what he told us to do after 9-11? It wasn't pray, it wasn't grieve, it wasn't hope. What was it? Shop. It was shop. Um, so... I think the question we have for us here is, is, is how, how can we live our lives differently um, than, than what's out there? How can we um, break this cycle? How can we be Christians even if we're in this cycle? Um, so that we're not just trying to keep up uh, with this crazy s- scheme that our world is throwing at us. Um, I don't think it's the life that God wants, uh, wants for us. And, and I think we have two examples that we can look at in the book of Philippians. So, if you turn turn there with me, um, Philippians chapter four, we find Paul here writing this letter. Um, Paul is poor, and he's in prison. And this wealthy church in Philippi um, has sent sent him a gift. And this is Paul's thank you note. We find chapter 4, verse 10, a a thank you note back to them. And he's using it to to teach them a lesson about contentment. Um, He says this, look at, at verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I think... Paul is, is pointing us in, in a couple really good directions here. Um, and w- one thing is that uh, Christian contentment, Christian contentment is flexible. Christian contentment is flexible. Um, Paul had experienced wealth. Um, he it's it's believed that because he had one of the highest educations that you could have in Jewish culture. That, that he, uh, he quite possibly was a very wealthy man at one time. And, and yet here we find him in prison. Um, he can't survive without this help um, from people. And yet he's so thankful and gracious. Um, but he also recognizes um, that he's able to be content. He's able to be content with little or a lot. That's what he says. Look at it again. I know what it is to be in need. I'm sorry, back up to 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He wanted this church in Philippi to know that he was thankful for what they sent him. Um, But he also wanted them to to know that even if he was hungry, um, and we're talking about him being in in situations where very likely this is is real hunger, um, hunger that we don't know in our culture. Um, And... I think this is how God wants us to be. Um, We might think that if we just get this or that, um, if we just have this amount, then I'll be content, and then then I'll be happier. Um, But I think we find that once we get to that spot, um, we're always wanting more. If we're not able to figure out how to be content now, we're never going to be able to figure it out. And God, God wants us to be people who look to Him as Paul does. Um, there in verse 13. I can do all of this through Him who, who gives me strength. Paul recognized that, that Christ is the source of strength. Christ is the provider. And he knows that Christ is the ultimate example. Back up just two chapters with me to chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, verse 6. Speaking of Christ, speaking of this example, who being in the very nature of God did not reckon, or did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to, to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. I found this quote from Henry Naen that I want you to look at it says this: "Jesus the Blessed one, is poor. The poverty of Jesus is much more than an economic or social poverty. Jesus is poor because he freely chose powerlessness over power, vulnerability over defensiveness, dependency over self-sufficiency. As the great song of Christ so beautifully expresses, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, becoming as human beings are. This is the poverty of spirit that Jesus chose to live. Jesus calls us to live our lives with that same poverty. Powerlessness over power, recognizing the one who has the power to change our circumstances, the one who's in control of our lives. Vulnerability over defensiveness, that we would have a right picture about what we deserve in this life, so that we would not approach people and approach things as if they belong to us. Dependency over self sufficiency. That we can truly learn to depend on the one who can provide. That we can be able to say, as Paul said, I can do all things through him. It gives me strength. Again, I, I stress once more, it's not wrong for us to have a desire for the right things. It's when we're consumed with longing for the wrong things, things that don't belong to us, things that God has not given us. It's when we break this command. As I close up this 10th command and and wrap up the commandment series, um, I must point us back to the very first command again. That when we put God first in everything, um, when we seek first his kingdom, everything else falls into its proper place. um, And that all to his glory. We're going to do a couple things as we close, a um, couple of things as a response. Um, the first is to, uh, to walk through and give us some time just to spend in confession. Um, it's a practice that's important, practice that has been important in the life of the church um, for, for ages since the church began. Um, and it's a, a time for us to spend just very personally to think about, we, we're ending the, the Ten Commandments. Um, each one of these commandments have given us um, things to think about, specific questions I think to ask ourselves. Um, and I'm going to walk us through some of these, um, and we're going to do this as we as we um, sing a little bit, um, a song of of um, just assurance. Song pointing us to God, um, and so Justin's going to lead us in singing a little bit, and then I'm going to step up and and just kind of talk you through, lead you through a time um, for you to just confess on your own, spend some time with the Lord. But let's sing a little bit.